here's the, here's the um, premise of the, the, the key scripture of this sermon series. It comes from the first two commandments of what we have now become accustomed to as the Ten Commandments. And it says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, I am the Lord your God. So this is God speaking. He's speaking to mankind. He said, I'm the Lord your God. I'm the one who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. I think he also wanted to throw in there, and I'm the only God who's ever been able to deliver you from captivity, slavery, and bondage. I'm the only God. I am the only God. And he says, verse 3, you must not have any other God but me. No other competitors, no competition, no stacking your, your hand with other false gods. Verse 4, you must not make for yourselves an idol of any kind. For I am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affections for any other gods. This is God standing at the altar to marry you or me. And he's saying, if you have intentions of running around on me, I'm not the right decision for you. I am a covenant God. I am a jealous God. You're going to be content with me and only me. And if you are, there are blessings beyond blessings in store for you. I'm the creator of this world. I got you. But if you do not, all bets are off. I don't promise anything. And so this is the first two commandments that should shape and guide God's people all throughout the Old Testament and to the time that Jesus enters into. But yet you find all throughout the Old Testament people struggled. They probably struggled because I struggled. I can remember it was about in middle school time that the agenda of the age, the, the, the common message of the age started permeating my ears and that is this. You're not much of a man. You're not much of a person unless you're in a relationship. <laughs> you, Unless you have a pretty girl on your arm, you must not uh, mount up to very much. And so this kind of thought that like, man, you don't have a girlfriend yet. You better get a girlfriend. Man, she wants to go out with you. Okay, sweet. Uh, didn't stop with just hands on arms because then the pressures became, are your hands going elsewhere? Is it going further? You haven't gone there yet. And there's this pressure and this agenda as if that um, my worth and my validity is wrapped up in how good I am in relationships. And uh, I, I can remember um, thinking at some point, well, then I'll become whatever she wants in order to have that person on my arms to validate me, to have a social status, to have some sort of um, uh, contentment in my life. I remember when my wife, um, about 10 years ago, so wisely shared to a, a room of middle and high school girls and they, she shared on purity and living for the Lord first and foremost. And she used the movie Runaway Bride. If you've ever seen that movie before, it stars Julia Roberts. And Julia Roberts has a problem with commitment, mostly because she doesn't know who she is. And so her message is always, do you like fried eggs? Well, then I like fried eggs. And then she gets into another relationship, and that man says, how do you like your eggs? And she's like, I don't know. And he likes them poached, so... I like poached eggs. And then she gets into a third engagement to a different guy. And he says, how do you like your eggs? And she's like, you like them scrambled? I think I like scrambled eggs. In other words, I don't really know who I am. And my wife so wisely taught this young generation of girls, find out who you are. 
and, and know your creator and get con, um, um, contentment with him before you rely on the needs of someone else to validate you. We can have love and relationships become our false gods. In fact, my mantra became, whatever you want me to be, I'll become it. If that just means you'll stand by me. They became the, the lyrics of a cheap trick song. I want you to want me. I need you to need me. I'd love you to love me. I'm begging you to beg me, to prove my worth, to validate me. And I think that so many of us have had the, that song lyrics become the mantra. No wonder it became a hit because so many it resonated with so many of us that back in my high school days, uh, so many songs were, were, were full of, of desperate romance. We, we, we so love those kinds of movies. We click on those songs. We buy those CDs. I can remember the song that was number one for a while um, was, I need you in my arms. I need you to hold. You're my world, my heart, my soul. For if you ever leave, baby, you would take away everything real in my life. And tell me now, how can I live without you? I want to know. How can I breathe without you? If you ever go, how could I ever have a Okay, anyway. <laughs> Why? Why was it so big? Because it resonated with so many people. We love hopeless, over-demanding desperation on a love relationship. Leanne Rhymes sang that song when she was 14 years old. What do you know about breathing without a guy? <laughs> it's like Michael Jackson back in the Jackson 5 singing about baby, baby, come on. You know, like, it's like, what do you know? Clearly, it was big enough that she put out a song, another one, one year later. She must have been a hopeless romantic because she went to the back, to the tops of the charts with this one. I need you like water, like breath. Like rain. I need you like mercy from heaven's gates. Oh, no, -uh, honey. Back it up. <laughs> if you are equating the need for a man at the same worth as the need for mercy from heaven's gates, you have slipped into a different dogma, a different doctrine of the age, and it permeates our song lyrics. It permeates our media. It, in fact, you would think, now nah, that's just back then when you were in high school. Come on. It, it's, it's better these days. Let's see if we've gotten any better. I would like to sing a modern-day song. <laughs> the title of this song is Take Me to Church, so it feels appropriate to sing it in a church. So that I can, sit, so I can read to you the lyrics of a modern day, I guess, worship song, Take Me to Church. My lover's got humor. She's the giggle at a funeral. Knows everybody's disapproval. I should have worshipped her sooner. He's, he's personifying the church as this female has taken the place of the church in my life. He continues... If the heavens ever did speak, she's the last true mouthpiece. Every Sunday's getting more bleak, a fresh poison every week. 
We were born sick. You heard them say it. My church offers no absolutes. She tells me, worship in the bedroom. The only heaven I'll be sent to is when I'm alone with you. I was born sick, but I love it. Command me to be well. A, amen, amen, amen. So he goes into the chorus. Take me to church. I'll worship like a dog at the shrine of your lies. This is hit song of the day. Take me to church. I'll worship you like a dog at the shrine of your lies. I'll lick it up. Whatever you're putting down, I'll pick it up. If only I can roll with you, be with you, stand next to you, and if you would just validate me and redeem me. Maybe, maybe that's a one-off for today. Got one more for you. Ready for it? This is so much fun, right? Because I know these are the songs your friends listen to. Not, so this is their song, right? How about these lyrics? This is going to hurt, but I blame myself first because I ignored the truth, drunk off that love. My head up, there's no forgetting you. You've awoken me. Oh, this girl woke him up. Maybe he's woke. Okay, I don't know. You, you, you've awoken me, but you're choking me. I was so obsessed, gave you all of me, and now honestly, I've got nothing left. Come on, can you see the empty promises of any God? other than the one true God. False gods will leave you uh, uh, in despair. So he goes to the chorus of a song called Dangerously by Charlie Puth. I loved you dangerously more than the air that I breathe. You're stealing songs from Leanne Rimes, come on. Knew we could crash, knew we would crash at the speed that we were going. Didn't care if the explosion ruined me. Baby, I loved you dangerously. In our culture, we like to overhype these relationships to the point that my worth is negative if I don't have a relationship. I need someone else to make me whole. I need someone else to redeem me. Our world is full of this lie, this lie that comes to us that says my worth, my existence, and my fulfillment all come from how good I am in relationships. If I'm no good at them, well, I must be worthless. Our world is full of, really, this is Aphrodite's doctrine. Aphrodite's doctrine is sex over sanctity. I know I should put sanctity first, but I like the feeling. I like the need. I like the affirmation. I like the love. I like, I like consuming it. I like being around it. And so I will put sex and the pursuit of sex higher than sanctity. I'll get it right on Sunday morning, and I'll even ask for forgiveness. And you could do that, but let's be real. We need to have a behavior change where God gets to be God and not some relationship. Six out of the seven days of our week. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10 is the New Testament being very clear that an overhyped sexual society is going to throw you off. And so he says this, do not be deceived. And then he finishes with this. These types of people will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you want to hear the list that he begins to rattle off. Do not de be deceived. No sexually immoral people. Idolaters. Hey, there's idolatry, right? False gods right in the middle of it. Adulterers or anyone practicing homosexuality. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, 
verbally abusive people or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. We like to pick out one or two of these out of the list and pick on everybody else. But this is what they're saying. Don't be deceived. And if you'll notice, the first four are all hypersexualized. No sexually immoral. Those are people having sex outside of marriage. Idolaters, adulterers, those are people having sex outside of their marriage. Or those practicing homosexuality that are those who have decided if the opposite gender is not for me, well, then I'll find affirmation and validation from someone of my own gender. This is still, all three of them lumped into the same category. It's an overindulgent need for you to complete me when I was wired for God to complete me. He says, do not be deceived. None of these things on the list, including thievery and all that, will inherit the kingdom of God. It sounds like you shall have no other false gods, no other people that you rely to complete you and that you hang your entire life on other than God. See, I think something's gone wrong in our society when it comes to sex and love. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, I'm in a small group with a bunch of us reading um, Mere Christianity, and here's one of his famous quotes talking about this, and he says this, Suppose you came to a country where you could fill a theater by simply bringing a covered plate onto the stage and then slowly lifting the cover so as to let everyone see, just before the lights went out, that it contained a mutton chop or a bit of bacon. Would you not think that in that country something had gone wrong with the appetite for food? And would not anyone who had grown up in a different world think there was something incredibly off about the state of sex instinct among us today? Could you imagine that? Theater is just going, come on, it's a packed house today. You ready? Here we go. Woo! Going to undress it, right? It's a mutton chop. He goes on to say, you would, you would have to surmise that this culture must be starving. They haven't had food in forever that they'd fill a theater to eat this mutton chop for it to be that important. And yet he goes on to argue that we have increased our sexuality generation after generation after generation. The pressures have gotten worse. The boundaries have gotten pushed further to the point that we have an overindulgence and yet we still need it. More and more and more. In other words, it's a false God that we will chase and chase and chase and chase. And if we could just step outside of ourselves, we go, something's gotten off here. That this is what I need to be the entertainment in my life. Or this is how relationships have now been defined in my life. Things instead of people. What's gone wrong? Well, I think what's gone wrong is my need for love or sex has become my first priority. It's become my God. Because I need it to validate me. And so if you like titles, this week two I've entitled, My Love is My God. Because this is for a message of how we so often get off where a significant other or someone else becomes the love that our God relationship should have. See, I love that the Bible is not 
devoid, it's not void of um, conversations like this. I love that even heroes in the Bible struggled with um, the same situations as this where they needed love to take the mantle of their life to prove their worth. And so I'm just so grateful that there are screw-ups in the Bible just like me too who have seen redemption and then God has brought redemption in my life and I believe he's going to do that for some people today. We're talking in the first book of the Bible, Genesis 29. If you've got your phones, open up the Bible app. Go to Genesis 29. It will be at the top of your books list. Or if you brought your Bible, you're going to stay on the left side, left-bound baby. Uh, find the first book of the Bible. And we're going to talk about a man named Jacob. He is the man that God would self-identify himself to his people as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and yes, Jacob too. He included himself and he identified himself with this man who had struggles in this department too. I think that brings hope. I, br I think that brings redemption for those of us who may have taken it out of bounds. So let's get into it. Genesis 29, 16. This is this. Now, I, I guess I should have set it up that Jacob has a twin brother named Esau and um, his parents, he has just run away from them because he has stolen uh, a blessing and a promise. And now he's run and he's on his own. And he comes to a new town and it says, now Laban, he met a man named Laban. And Laban had two daughters, jackpot, Jacob, come on. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure. And was beautiful. Are you noticing what Jacob's noticing? It's already a physical nature of noticing. He's saying, she's got weak eyes. That is a very kind way of saying she ain't that pretty. Okay? Like, uh, actually, commentators say it either means that or it means maybe she had like a lazy eye. And so like one of her eyelids might not have been able to open the same and we equate beauty with uh, symmetry and different things like that. So maybe of some form or fashion, she didn't measure up to Rachel because Rachel had a, write this down, lovely figure. <laughs> it's like, who's writing this story? <laughs> and he says, and she was beautiful. Verse 18, Jacob was in love with Rachel. And he said, girl, <laughs> I'll work. Seven old years for you, baby. Come on. I'll work seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel, is what he told Laban. And so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seem like only a few days to him because this man was in love with her. Don't we love these stories? Oh, I love the hopeless romantic. I love the overindulgent, throw all abandon to the wind. I know it ain't wrong, but if being wrong, if being, if being right is wrong, I don't want to be right, baby. All three relationships that we're going to see right here had an overindulgence on relationships. Number one, Jacob needs Rachel. He speaks of his need for her. We, we, we find it because Jacob is so obsessed with her that he goes, girl, I'll marry you no matter what. I'll, I'll give you seven years. I, I, seven year, I'll give you seven years of my life. I'll be your servant for her. Commentators say this is four times. The typical bride price at the time. This is addict behavior. Girl, I need you so bad. I'll pay two times, three times. No, I'll pay four times just to have you next to my arm. Because I need you. I need you to validate me. 
I need you to stand here and be pretty. I need you to give me my worth. I need, I need you to feel good about myself. Why? Why was he probably so charged? What was he really after? He's really after love because his own father always loved Esau more than he loved Jacob. And now the one big love of his life, his mother, he has now had to run from because the two of them connived together to steal a blessing. He's got no love around him. His brother definitely doesn't love him. Ain't no sibling love happening right there. And we even discover he has not yet really figured out the love of God. God's not very prevalent in his life at this point. So why would you say I'll pay four times the asking price? Because what he's saying, what his soul is screaming out is, I'm desperate for affirmation. I'll do anything. I'll become whatever you want if you'll just stand next to me. Genesis 29 goes on to say, after he served those seven years, here's his speech to his future father-in-law. Any fathers in this room got any daughters? Come on. I, I would love to hear if you would like a man to approach you and say these words. Verse 21, give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. <laughs> doesn't, it, doesn't it warm your hearts, fathers? Wow, you see my daughter as a thing? Oh, I'm so moved. I just want to give her to you. Like, no. Like, even, even commentators said that this is an uh, unusually graphic statement to make to a father. It's overly sexualized. Like, how many young men think it would be a wise idea to go up to your future father-in-law and go, your daughter's fine, can't wait to have sex? <laughs> Not a smart move. No vow, no wisdom. And yet we live with the same message on our lips. And he, he was so desperate for it. We often talk, I've heard people say this before, he worships the ground she walks on. Did, did you notice the verb, he worships? You might as well worship at the throne of, the, of your life. Right? It's no different than the modern day song in that there is this thing that I will become and worship you. Why? 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 I think he needed love. He didn't know his father's love. He didn't have his mother's love. He didn't have his brother's love. He didn't have God's love. And he thought if I had her, something would be right in my life. Everything would make sense again if I could just marry her. So he serves the seven years. He marries what he thought was her. But that night, as he was intoxicated, Laban gave him Leah instead, the older daughter, the one with weak eyes. And he woke up the next morning and go, girl, you got weak eyes. You are not Rachel. And he goes, he goes, back, to, he goes back to Laban and he said, what did you do to me? And Laban said, I didn't promise you any specific daughter. I just said I'll give you my daughter seven years from now. Laban working the system. <laughs> and so... Here's the second one. Leah knows she wasn't wanted. Leah knows she was forced betrothed. Leah knows her father just pawned her off in a scheme. And now Leah becomes someone who needs Jacob's love. If I'm going to have any value, if I'm going to have any worth, I need some man to love me. My own father pawned me off. I'm 
if my younger daughter's of the age to get married and I'm still not married, it ain't going very well with men. Men don't seem to appreciate me. What's my worth in this world if I'm not even married off? And so after years of neglect from men, she developed a need for Jacob's love. How do we know this? Verse 32 through 35 describe that uh, uh, Jacob would then uh, negotiate seven more years for his second daughter, Rachel. They'd get married too. And Leah would always play second fiddle to Rachel. I'm the wife who's not really loved. But Rachel hasn't been able to have any babies. Maybe, just maybe. The worth of an estate in this time is if you give a man a son, someone to carry the inheritance, maybe my value and my status will go way up. And so the Bible records that Leah was able to have a son. And it says in verse 32, she named him Reuben for what's her thought on her mind? Surely my husband will love me now. I gave him a boy. I'll finally be worth something. That didn't seem to work because she had a second son. She named him Simeon, verse 33, because the Lord heard that I am not loved. Do you hear the tune of her life song? I need love. He gave me this one too. Uh, the, the third son, she named Levi, verse 34, she, she declared, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, for I've borne him three kids, three sons. Surely, I did works, I did stuff for him, I did everything he asked of me, I've been serving him, surely I should be loved now. I'll do whatever it takes to be loved. It says, she finally has a fourth son. And on the fourth son, it's the only one of the three key people in this relationship, Leah, Rachel, and Jacob, she is the only one who shows any amount of spiritual progress when she has a fourth son. And she said, this time I name him Judah. This time I will praise the Lord, period. Put the pen down. Walk away. I don't need your love anymore because I've got his love. And I welcome your love. And I would desire it, but I have no longer a, a, a prisoned, handicapped, a handcuffed need to your attention, your behaviors, your demands. For I have Judah, and I will praise God and God alone. He has become enough for me. I've tried to measure up, and I've tried to bow down at the altar of your lives, but I hope that we could get to this point, too. Girl, if you want to roll out on me, you can roll out because I got my love for my father. I don't want you to, but I am no longer need you. I, I'm not indebted to you. This is when a relationship can really get healthy. Because you are not putting over-demanding needs of becoming God on me, and I am not putting over-demanding needs on you. That you better be my God. Right? This happens time and time again and I could include that Rachel had a need as well she had her husband's love what relationship did she need she started pleading she, my sister's got four sons and I can't even have one child God I need a child 
And if it's not a relationship we do it to, we can do it to our kids too. Where we, we, up the, and we promote our kids' worth to a God-like status. I will live vicariously through you. You will do this and you will become this because I am living through you. And it's overbearing. It's suffocating. It makes children grow up to say, stay away from me. And when we don't find the validation of the love of God from him first, we too put off this aura that if you don't fulfill, man, it's just too much. It's too crippling. It's too overbearing. It's too over You're always unhappy. It's always based on me, 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 me. And here's my favorite part of the whole story. When God surveyed the land and he decided, I'm sending my son, Jesus Christ, the savior of all the world. He surveyed the 12 tribes of Judah, which most of them came through Leah and Rachel. Guess who he chose to send Jesus through? The tribe of Judah. In other words, I shall affirm and validate the woman who said, I may be weak, but God has made me strong, for I need none other. I am content in him and him alone. Help me out, church, that I will trust in him. Surely I want the love of others. I would love the affections of others, but God is enough, and I shall worship him and him alone. I don't care if i got to walk through this thing by myself. Jacob, if you don't like me, I love Jesus. I love God. I have got enough. And when Jesus says, uh, when God says, which tribe should I come through? He says, let's make the weak strong. Because he always makes the weak strong. It, I might be in culture's eyes weak because I'm not giving into the pressures of flirting with every girl I come across. Or you may, it might see you as weak because you kind of hold on to your virginity and you're going to save the best gift you got for the one that you marry. And people might say that's weak, but God makes the weak strong. He uses those things that confound the wise, to, to, to simple things to confound the wise. What did you do? What? Because I am not as desperate as you. One day, game on. Today, I'm content. Paul said it this way. I have become content in any situation that I have come in. And I don't need anyone else's approval to validate me. Write this down. When we deprive false gods in our lives, the real God arrives. And his name's Jesus Christ. When we deprive the false gods in our lives, the real God arrives. His name's Jesus Christ. This is what happened with Leah. She said, I will deprive my need for you, and I will build my trust in him, no matter my situation. So three ways to bridle this idol. I'm going to go quick. Three things you can do with this, three things that you can get back on track because I am not standing up here pointing fingers at anybody. I too was in bad shape and had bought Aphrodite's doctrines and I had probably worshipped at her, her idol before until I met Jesus Christ and he flipped the script. And he changed everything, and he wants to redeem you and I. So here's three ways to bridle this idol. Number one, find your why. Find your why. Ask yourself, why do I need this person's attention so much? Why do I need this person's approval so desperately much? Why, why do I need it? You know, there's, there's a saying out there that I think is true. Men use love to get sex, and women use sex to get love. I am trying to feed off of you to get something empty in me. That only God can fulfill. And when 
I use you up or when you don't uh, no longer meet my needs, I'll find another source. And it's hurting people. It's cutting them up. And it's causing a frustrated, let down, despairing generation. This is what Ernest Becker said. We so often maintain the fantasy that if we find our one true soulmate, everything wrong with us will be healed. After all, what is it we want when we elevate the love partner to the position of God? We want redemption, nothing less. I need you to redeem me. Everybody else has given up on me. I don't know if I measure up. I don't know if I'm enough. But if you'll stick with me, you'll validate me and you'll redeem me. And only God can do it. I love Lamentations 3.24. And it says this, the Lord is my portion says my soul. Therefore, I will hope only in him. The Lord is my portion. He's enough. You ever been served up dinner before? Somebody gives you a portion, and you need to get to a point where you say, that is enough, working on that, okay? Right, right? Let's not do that to God, too, when it comes to the love relationships in our life. God, you are my portion. I need a little bit extra to be content. No, the Lord is my portion. I'm going to hope only in him. You can do this finding your why by simply praying this prayer. God, I'm sorry I replaced you when you are all that I need. You are my portion and you are enough for me. Number two, second way to bridle this idol is to set boundaries. Set boundaries. Define the line. How far is too far? You better decide now before you're in the heat of the moment. Tim Keller said it this way. We know a good thing has become a counterfeit God when its demands on you exceed proper boundaries. Come on. Our single people need to realize I don't need to give you sex in order to feel love. And I don't need to feel lo uh, use love in order to get sex because I have gotten affirmation from above and I am going to set boundaries. And so here are the boundaries. You can go this far and no further. If you can't respect that, I can't respect you. You can go. Girl, you fine. Bro, you are hot. You got a great job too. But it will not sustain me like the love I'm in right now. You know, when my wife and I met, I really had to get to a point where I had bit Aphrodite's doctrine for so long that I, I, I met Jesus Christ and it took uh, one or two years of following him before I really got to a content place that, God, I don't need to be in a relationship right now. Others may talk. Let them talk. I'm content. I'm fine. I think I'm ready to get married. I'm entering the end of my college career. I, I, could, I could financially support one, but if it's not the right time, we're good. You're enough for me. I think it was no coincidence that it was about three months later that for the first time in my life, God introduced me to what would become my wife. I praise God he didn't introduce me a day sooner because I probably would have medicated off of her. We got to get to a point where you say, God, you are my portion. You're enough. And so because of that, we set boundaries because that doesn't mean I am not attracted to you. So here are the boundaries. You got your own apartment, and I am not going in there alone with you. I don't trust myself. 
One time I tried to bring her lunch after I left work from the church. And I brought it over to her. And we thought, surely we could sit down and eat. And I realized, nah-uh, nah-uh. My wife, <laughs> I'm going to try to, let's take this lunch on the front porch. We sat on the front porch. Everybody like, oh, that's so sweet. They're doing a picnic. This brother needed a picnic. He <laughs> said, boundaries. And now that we're married, we still have boundaries. In the bedroom, both of us have a voice. It's not one person's demands outweigh the other person's demands. It's a respect of boundaries. Write this down. You'll have more strength to say no when all idols are bridled. And I finish with number three. Reorient your hope. See, if you put your hope in anything else other than God, it will be just a matter of time before it lets you down. And when it does, you can have four reactions. Number one, you can blame them and move on to another one until it falls apart and you blame them and then you move on and you repeat the cycle over and over and over. Or you can blame yourself and you can just put yourself down. You can live in condemnation. You can beat yourself up. You can also blame the world and just write off the entire gender. All men are pigs. All women are gold diggers. Right? You can make one of those declarations or you can do number four. Reorient your hope to God and God alone. God, I put too much weight and importance on this relationship. Father, I now put that on you and you alone. Colossians 3 says this. You have been raised to life with Christ. Now set your heart on what is in heaven where Christ rules at God's right side. Christ gives meaning to your life. And when he appears, you also will appear in glory with him. Come on. When Christ shows up and he's enough for me, come on. You also will have arrived for you have had the need fulfilled in Christ and Christ alone. And so what's our response to this? Here's what I'm asking. We're not done worship. I'm going to ask everybody in this room, stand to your feet right now. Because I believe our response to this can be a song uh, that becomes a declaration that I am going to realign myself with him. He's my portion and he's enough. Let's say it.
Father, our response to this message, for those who want this to be your response, Father, we repent of living off of someone else or finding our greatest value in someone else's opinion of us. When you thought so highly of us that you died to save us. Your love is enough. That doesn't mean there won't be struggles. That doesn't mean there won't be temptations. That doesn't mean there won't be threats that carry too much weight in my ear. But I have decided that I'm already loved. I'm already chosen by you. I know who I am. You've already spoken. I'm already loved more than I can imagine. And that's enough. Can we sing that out? The band's not going to get big. But let's let that be our response. God, your word's enough. We have so much abundant love lavished on us. Help that be enough. Let's repeat that song, uh, that line. That is enough. That is enough. Come on, let your spirit tell your soul and your flesh that his love is last time as we declare it's enough. Father, speak a blessing on your people. Father, we've been lied to. I don't really even blame other people for this, for we're the ones who bought into it. And Father, we know that the enemy has been lying to us because it's all about a false God. It's all about a counterfeit that if we'll put more trust in it, then in you. Well, we're off basis. So, Father, you are the Lord, our God, who rescued us from bondage. We will not have any other false God besides you. Father, we put this idol in its place. You are now bridled. I will accept the love of a friend or a person, but not above the love of my Father. And that is enough. In Jesus' name I pray. Before we leave, with every eye closed, just want to ask you, some of you in this place might be going, you know, I don't know if I've ever put my love completely, my trust completely in God and God alone. I'm like you, Pastor Drew. I have used relationship after relationship to try to validate my worth, to try to find redemption, to try to start over again. And I'm here to tell you that the only relationship that can truly help you start over again, and this time with a clean slate, is the relationship with Jesus Christ. He knew you messed up. He knew you were a sinner. He knew you screwed up just like me. And he still said, I'll go die for them because no one is willing to die for them like I'm willing to die for he died for you, crucified for you, was beaten for you. It was an innocent man treated like a guilty person so that your guilt can be now treated like innocence for all who believe. With every head bowed, every eye closed, 
I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to call you down, nor will I embarrass you. But I want to give you a moment to let Jesus become the Lord of your life. If you're in this place or at the, hear me uh, where you are online, and you say, Pastor Drew, today is the day I give my life back to Jesus Christ. Come on. I want to serve him, and I want to follow him, and no other God will suffice but him. Today I make that declaration with you. With no one looking around, would you just throw your hand high into the sky so that heaven sees your decision today. If you're online, just write into the chat, I, I, I choose Jesus. I choose Jesus, include me too. Come on, there's hands on this, all over this place. Many people making decisions. As a church, those who raise their hand, let's pray along with them a decision of a prayer. And we say this, Jesus, I give you my life. I am a sinner. I've done dumb things. I've screwed up. I've hurt myself. I've hurt other people. Most importantly, I know I hurt you. This isn't who you created me to be. I want to get back to who you called me to be. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who died in my place so he would wash away my guilt. He has washed away my shame. All those dumb things are no longer held against me in your eyes. And that's incredible. I want to live my life for you alone. You be my Lord. You call the shots. You're my only Savior. And that is enough. In Jesus' name. And the church said.